I want to highlight some things before we talk about the do's and don'ts, and I just want to punctuate what the Word of God is according to this, this text. It says in verse 18, it is the Word of truth. The Bible is the truth. The word truth means reality. The word truth is a reflection of reality. Truth is what is. Truth isn't what you think it is, what you perceive it is, what you want it to be. Truth is what is. The Bible is, I love this statement, the revelation of reality. Whether I like it or not, it is the way it is. It is a compass that guarantees to reveal the truth. The Word of God is the revelation of truth. It reflects and reveals reality. Number two, verse 25, it is called the perfect law. It is the law, which means it's a requirement. It's non-optional. Secondly, it's non-negotiable. It is reality. It has ethical demands, and it reflects reality. So, therefore, it's like the law of gravity. It's not a hypothesis. It's not a theory. It's reality. It's a law. And it's a law by way of ethical demand. It's not just something to know. It has, it has weight for me. It has responsibility attached to it because it is the perfect law, the law of God. It's complete, perfect. It is without flaw. A couple of things about perfect. Three reasons it's perfect. It's perfect because it's from a perfect God, given and revealed by Him. Number two, it's perfect because it cannot be improved upon. It is the highest law, and it is flawless. It is perfect. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect has no flaw. There's nothing higher in terms of authority. It is perfect. It's without peer. And it is able to restore your soul, Psalm 19, to refresh you, to transform you, to fix you because of its capacity, which leads me to the third thing, which is it's perfect, but not only because of where it came from and what it is, but because of what it does. When the word perfect is teleos, it means to complete a goal means to finish a path, to fulfill the end. The law of the Lord is perfect, teleos, because it is perfectly able without flaw to accomplish the perfect goal, the end, which is maturity in Christ. Perfect. Perfection toward an end. It perfectly accomplishes the goal. What is the goal in this section? That I'll be an acceptable first fruit, which is a worship offering. If I want to be the worship offering worthy of a perfect God, I've got to engage the perfect law of God so that the perfect law of God can make me what a perfect God requires of me, a first fruit. It accomplishes the righteousness of God. So its source guarantees its perfection, its quality demands it, and the outcome should validate it. That's what the word of God is. It is truth. It is a perfect law. Number three, verse 25, it affects and produces true liberty. Verse 25, the perfect law, the law of what? Liberty. The word liberty is freedom. 
The perfect law and revelation of God, the non-negotiable prescriptive requirements of God and revelation of reality given to us by God has a purpose. You know what it is? To produce freedom in you. Liberty. The freedom to live the way that God has designed you to live, not enslaved by sin or corrupt passions, but free. Remember John 8? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're my disciple, you abide in the word, and it will set you free. And if the Son, the Son of God, sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Ever been enslaved by sin? You know it's not a way to live. The word of God is a liberating means in your life. If you're addicted and cycling through patterns of behavior and attitude and action, This is the means, this law. It's perfect. This is the the solution. This is the antibiotic to the cycle that is holding you back. The word of God. It It affects and produces true liberty. So it reveals reality. It prescribes attitude and activity. That's the law thing. It produces maturity. I, I, I didn't quote that, but it allows you to be whole, complete, and lacking nothing. It affects liberty. And finally, because it's engrafted, and I want you to notice or implanted, I want you to notice verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive, watch this, the word implanted or engrafted. That word, it can go two ways. Number one, it could be the law of God written on your heart. It's the seed of truth already in your conscience, Romans 2. There's not a person on the planet who doesn't have the word of God parked in their heart by way of moral law. But contextually, I want to argue that this is not about something that's already there. It's something that needs to be placed there, like seed. The word implanted is the idea of a seed that is sown in the ground and it puffs up when it's germinated. It gets into the soil and when it hits the soil and it's good soil, something happens. Something comes up. A harvest comes up. The seed gives birth to something. When the word of God is planted in your soul, this is the point of what the Bible does. It supernaturally germinates. When united by faith and obedience, that word becomes a crop of righteousness, transformed living, transformed thinking. It improves the quality and it prevents calamity because it protects you. Notice what it says, verse 21, which is able to save your soul. It delivers you, it changes you, and it delivers you. It's implanted, it's supernatural, to swell like seed when it's germinated. The word of truth is like the seed which when received by hearing quickly and humbly in this text, it'll produce the righteousness of God, which anger prevents. But the word of God produces a righteousness that reflects the character of God. Consequently, it saves your soul from the adverse effects of living in sin. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper today. You partake in an unworthy manner. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 11, some sleep. That's a euphemism from they're dead. 
or they're sick. Why are they sick or why have they passed? Because they are living in sin and they are partaking in an unrighteous way. Unrighteousness is destructive to you physically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. What James says is the word of God implanted like seed will deliver or rescue you from the effects, the practical outworkings of sin, relationally, physically, spiritually. The word of God is able to transform you, improving the character and quality of your life, and secondly, to prevent calamity unnecessary to your life. It'll produce the righteousness of God and save your soul, not only from eternal death, but temporal sin death consequences, which we've talked about before. That's the word of God the supernatural ingredient that has provided us so that we can become what God wants us to be. It changed us. If any man is in Christ, is a new creation. Old things passed away. I'm born again by the Spirit through the Word of God. I'm a changed man. If you've trusted Christ by faith, you're a changed person. You're a new creation, and God has a desire to finish the good work that He's begun. How does he do that? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? The Bible matters. Listen, you're in a Bible church. I feel like I'm singing to the choir. But listen, what you're going to see in this text is not just hearing it. It's doing it. And it's having convictions that optimize, guaranteed, that transformative work that God desires. So let's jump in. Therefore, because the word of God is what it is, because the word of God is that and does that, here are 10 things a Christian should do to change, to allow the Bible to do what it does. Be like that trainer. You're showing up at the gym tomorrow, guaranteed, do this. You do this, you'll look like that. Not a fantasy, It's a reality. It's not a Photoshop picture. It's what could be true of you. It would be like hearing that. So what are the do's of changing? Number one, we touched on this last time, verse 19, when you see the words, this you know. Here's the first implication, the first do regarding the word of God implied by and required by the words, because you know. Because you know is a perfect active imperative. It means something you know and you continue to know. It's something that you know and you live because of. You know what we would call because you know? Because you have this conviction. What conviction? That the word of truth changed me. And because the word of truth changed me, It's the means to keep on changing me. So let me put it the first do this way. You must have a resolved and settled conviction about the power of the word of truth to change you. I've been taking this little supplement that Karen, my wife, turned me on to back in the fall. Now, because we're sick at our house, we do a lot of things that people will tell us might be helpful. And honestly, a lot of them, you spend money, but you see no results. And most of it's too expensive for me to try just experimentally because I'm not sick, at least to my knowledge. But this one was cheap enough for me to try. 
And because the propaganda or the advertising and the people I knew that had been doing it had been so benefited by it, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it for 90 days, see what happens. Do you know what? I've seen validatable evidence, not placebo effects, but I can actually see the benefit of this particular supplement. So do you know how often I take that supplement? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Every day. And if I notice that the bottle's getting low, I go to my wife and say, hey, did you order that? You know why? Because it's a conviction. I have come to believe that that supplement is helpful to me. The first step in transformative change is a conviction that the word of God is the means, the tool, the, the instrument that guaranteed will change me, which means nobody will have to fight me to open it today. Nobody will have to fight me to open it tomorrow. And if I haven't opened the Bible recently, I'm going to find a way to get it open because it's a conviction that motivates me. It's something I know and I continue to live out of. Let me tell you about this. If you want to be changed, you can't be superficial or lax with that conviction. You got to own it. You'd be surprised how many Christians struggle with getting in the Bible. Come to church on Sunday, love John MacArthur, love Nathan Buznitz, love to hear people teach the Bible. Listen, God, the Holy Spirit wants to teach you the Bible when you meet with him with the Bible. You'll change. It has to start with the conviction. The first do is, do I have a conviction that motivates me and moves me? It drives my decisions regarding the gift of God's word. Do you know it and do you live out of it? Number two, the second do comes from the words we saw in verse 19, be quick to hear. I'm just going to highlight this because we taught our way through this a couple of weeks ago. Daily and proactively seeking. The word be is a present active imperative. It means you have to. This is a conviction that is required on a daily basis. So I wrote the word daily and proactively. Quick to hear means you're zealous. You move fast, and when you're moving, you anxiously and desirously seek something. Daily and proactively seek to listen and anxiously learn the truth. Hear means you learn by your ears. You're taking it in. You're gaining knowledge by ear. You're listening with attention. You're proactively seeking to listen and anxiously learn the truth. Number three, what we didn't talk about, I want to look at in verse 21. There's a connective word, therefore. So I want to go from quick to hear down to verse 21, because the word of God is the transformative tool that you need to hear. Verse 21, therefore, put aside all filthiness. The word filthy medically meant earwax. So the filth could be filth on your garments, filth on your clothing, but medically, the term here is earwax. Remove the earwax. And that's why I put it as number three. You can't be quick to hear if you've got 
wax in your ears. What is the wax in your ear that you need to remove? Filthiness and wickedness has to do with immorality, sinful behavior. Putting aside from rupas, which in a medical sense is earwax, literally referred to as wax in the ear, sin is like wax in our spiritual ears. All wickedness, all filthiness is to be removed. All excesses of the flesh. That's what the word wickedness involves. Put it aside. Get rid of it. Take it off. This is a familiar idea in the New Testament where it talks about putting away or putting off the deeds of the flesh. Lay aside. Do it now. All corrupting thoughts, all acts resulting from temptation in this context, as well as the trials that you're dealing with and the temptation you have to cope with those trials on your own. Get rid of that stuff. We used to own a little horse farm and Beside the barn, I had rolled up some old carpet that we used to have in the barn. And I'm out there cleaning up, and I unroll the carpet, and just this mass of yellow jackets came out. They had a nest in the carpet. Now, listen, I didn't live in the city, but it wouldn't have mattered if I did. I was taking off everything I had on because the, the yellow jackets were just attacking, and I wanted them off. This is that, it's an aorist participle which says, do it, do it now. Do it so you can hear. Clean out the earwax. Treat it like you're being attacked or assaulted with something that's going to be injurious. Get rid of it. Ever step in fire ants? You have fire ants in California? We do, don't we? Do we? Alabama, they grow like mounds. You step in one, you're going to get whatever it is that they're on off. That's this mentality. Get rid of what compromises your ability to hear the word of God. Get rid of it. All excesses and filthiness will deny you from receiving the engrafted word. Turn over to 1 Peter. And I'm hurrying this morning because I want to get a few things in before our time goes away. 1 Peter chapter 1 this whole idea of the word of God like seed. So you have that flavor in 1 Peter 1, 23, for you've been born again. That's being brought forth, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. So what brought you forth? What transformed you? The word of God did. For all flesh is like grass, all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now notice chapter 2. Therefore, because the Bible changed you, and because it's the means of changing you, therefore put aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. That's the earwax. Put it away. Get rid of it. Repent of it. Turn from it. Verse 2. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So what does the word of God do? It grows you. What will prevent its growth? Earwax of immorality. Earwax of sinful behavior. Get rid of all excesses. 
so that it can mature you and restore you. You need to throw it away. So let me, let me just pause for a minute. Is there anything in your life that you're hanging on to, represented by fleshly, carnal, do-my-own-thing behavior, sinful behavior, attitudes, actions? You can't grow if you hang on to that. You got to take it off. You got to get rid of it. You got to put it off. You got to throw it away like it's idolatrous to you. Listen to Isaiah 2.19. Here's an example of putting aside filthiness and wickedness. And just read you a couple of Old Testament passages. Gives you the kind of the, the feel of it, the, the flavor of it. Isaiah 2.19 talks about the splendor of the Lord's majesty. The revelation of who he is. And because of his high station... He's a God to be feared before the fear of the Lord and before the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble in that day. Men will cast away to the moles. Now it's referring to moles in the hole. And the bats. That's referring to caves. In that day, men will cast away to the moles and the bats. So holes and caves. Their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship. Isaiah 30, 19 through 22. Here's an encouraging word. Same flavor. O people of Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry when he hears it. He will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression. So the context is trouble. You've been living under trial, which the Lord has ordained. So that's the context, the people of Israel. He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher, and your ears will hear a word behind you. So you got the ears and you got hearing in this context behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or toward the left. So God is going to guide you through difficulty. Now listen to verse 22. And you will defile your graven images overlaid with silver and your molten images plated with gold. So your idolatrous stuff, you're going to defile it. You will scatter them as if they're an impure thing. And you will say to them, be gone. Good riddance. Because if you hang on to them, there's no guidance. Throw them away, bats and moles. Wherever you got to take it, deal with it. Bury it, remove it, address it, be gone, destroy it, because it will prevent the guidance from God, deliverance from God, and listen, for the sake of this morning, transformation from God. Listen, if I'm crispy creaming every day, it doesn't matter what my supplements are. Get rid of the filth. So here you are in the Lord's Day, Communion Sunday. The Spirit of God who's a faithful convictor of sin. Ask him when you go to church today, what is it in my heart that's plugging my ears so I can't change? What prideful thought, what lustful thought, what attitude of life, what action and choice of my life 
is prohibiting me from becoming what you want me to become. Cleanse my heart. I'm confessing it. I'm repenting. Listen, repentance is a gift from God. Repentance is not condemnation. Repentance is conviction that leads to liberation. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Spirit of God, bring conviction to me so that I can confess my sin, deal with my sin, so my ears can hear, so that I can take in the supernatural transforming work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God, so I can become like a child of God should become, like Christ. That's your work. I don't want to prevent it, and I'm getting rid of it. And you can go through Ephesians. You can go through the epistles. Lay it off. Put it aside. Anger, malice. There's lists there. Get rid of that stuff. Can you say amen to that? I don't know about you. I want to be fit. I might have missed my window physically, but I don't want to miss my window spiritually. You're a first fruit. That's a worship offering. You're the first of a kind. Act like it and live like it. But I can't. Yes, you can. Because the word of God and the spirit of God has the power of God to transform you. Repent and trust and allow God to do what God does. Those are the three things that I plant in your heart today. There's seven more next Sunday. Hopefully we'll get started a little earlier. Father, thank you for your word today. Oh God, it is the superfood. It is the antibiotic of our soul. Lord, if there was a prescription given to us today that guaranteed our healing and we were sick, I know we would race toward it. God, would you give us that kind of abiding conviction of the heart that drives us to the healing properties of your word? And Lord, there's, there's ways we need to handle it. There's things we need to do with it. So Lord, even this week, as we have this section open before us today, would you make it our meditation so that we can ruminate and think and contemplate to extract value, to chew on it in a way that is transformative so that its power and capacity will have an effect in our life. Lord, help us to be what you want us to be. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the revelation of reality. It is perfect and it will set us free. To that end, I ask it for us all in Jesus' name. Amen.